So now I have the op- awesome opportunity to introduce a brother in Christ who fights and prays and, and hopes and dreams for our youth at Rush. And he's with us now as a youth leader. And he wants to share what's on his heart, what God pressed on his heart, because he's pressed into God. So I need you to put your hands together for Brother Jamie. Thank you, Sierra. Good morning. It's been a long time coming. Long time coming. Uh, With Pastor Chris and Pastor Melissa out this morning, I'm sure you're curious. What's Jamie doing up there? (laughs) Jamie? Really? Um, You know, as God had placed the topic of today's message on my heart, it's been something that I've been grappling with for quite some time. And it's something that we can all relate to and get on board with. And that is the battlefield of the mind. Now, if some of you are like me, often when I hear the title of um, the sermon on particular Sundays, I think to myself, I got this. I don't need this. So I kind of check out. It says something about, you know, relationships. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that. So mentally, I'm checking out already. I'm already beginning the process of cutting myself off. But battlefield of the mind is something that we all have to endure. No one's exempt. No one. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how tall you are, how short you are. This battle is taking place. And it's on a very serious level. And more times than not, we take it for granted. We really do. We don't understand how important it is. So when we think of the term battlefield, me personally, I am a uh, science fiction fan. So I think about Star Wars in particular. I think about the empire fighting the, the, the rebellion. Or I think about um, Lord of the Rings, the battle for Middle Earth. Nobody else? That's just me? <laughs> No Lord of the Rings fans? Oh, man. All right, so be it, so be it. I'll pray for you guys. Um, so I'm, I'm visual in that capacity. But history has taught us that some of the major reasons that battles take place are for different principalities, whether it be for civil rights, whether it be for religious reasons. But more times than not, it's for land, property, ownership. Well, the battle that I'm referring to is along those same lines. Property, ownership. What you own, you can do with. Well, the enemy 
is battling right now, this very moment, for us. For us right now, not only our physical being, but for our very souls. It's happening right now, and no one is exempt. Amen? So can we all be in agreement that this battling is happening? This battle is happening. No? Is someone out of this battle? Okay, I'm just checking. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Read with me. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in, the, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Anybody know? Paul, the Apostle Paul. So I got to talk about Paul for just a second. Because Paul is my main man. Paul is, he is an amazing, he was an amazing man. The things that he's done, the things that he's seen, I can't wait to get to heaven to talk to him. Say, man, how did you do this? What he stood for, the transformation that he made before he chose to follow Jesus, miraculous. Because believe it or not, before he chose to follow Jesus, he was actually persecuting Christians, seeking them out, persecuting them. If he was in today's society, we'd label him as a murderer and have that stamped on his forehead forever, him marred as a murderer. But then he made the choice, the decision to follow Jesus. Changed his life from first the inside out, but the first thing that he did was he made that choice. So I can relate to the kind of man that he is. I think about mistakes that I've made in my past and even in the present, and I look at him at how he fell down on several occasions and chose to get back up. So Paul was amazing. Even after he decided to follow Jesus, and what his life looked like. If we were to, again, if he was in today's society, we'd probably label him as a Jesus freak or a religious radical. But he was definitely different. And because he was different, he stood out. Amen? So I can relate to how Paul was. I think about how He was in prison and writing love letters to us. In prison. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, y'all would be the last thing on my mind, okay? (laughs) I'd be thinking, woe is me. Oh, my gosh. But he was filled with the Spirit. And he knew that he had to get what was inside of him, what God had put inside of him, out. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So my first bullet point, and I only have three, 
so it's not an extensive list, I only have three, is recognizing that this battle is taking place and what it consists of. So one of the plans of the enemy is it coincides with one of the biggest lies that the enemy has placed forth. And that is to get us to be under the impression to believe that he doesn't exist. And he tries to hide behind a variety of different things, different myths and false notions. And he wants us to believe certain things about ourselves. Things like, um, well, I'm just an angry person. Or I'm just depressed. I'm always sad. This is the way that God made me. He wants us to believe those things. And if we're not prepared, we might. How about this one? This is who I am. I can't change. I am stuck in my ways. No? Just me? Okay. Okay. See, when it comes to how we think, how we respond to others, it's based off seeds of thought that are planted in our brains. It all stems from that. He tries to create these lies, these accusations, these convictions to separate us from God. And he'll use everything and anything to accomplish this goal, to kill, steal, and destroy. See, we have the tendency sometimes to place human characteristics on the devil. And what I mean by that is, for example, we have morals and values that may limit us from going to a certain level when we're trying to hurt someone, even if it's intentionally. So say we're trying to get revenge on somebody. We might think, well, I'm only going to go so far. I won't try. I, I want to hurt this person, but I don't want his mom to get hurt also. Or I don't want his kids to get hurt also. Those are the mor morals and values that we have, I'm hoping. And we tend to project those sa that same mindset onto the enemy. And that's exactly what he wants. But do you think that he's beyond using our kids to get to us? Absolutely not. Do you think that he is beyond using our pastor to get to us? Absolutely not. He will use anything and everything to get to us, to separate us from God's plan for our lives. And one of the first places he attacks, right between our eyes. If he can convince you, if he can poison the way that we think, the way that we process information, how we view ourselves and each other, half the battle is already won. Because he's going to be able to, to distort how you view the world, how you're going to interact with people. It's right there in his hands. And he's in there just dancing away. <laughs> dancing away the whole time because he's trying to 
perpetuate the notion that you don't think that he exists or that this battle is not taking place. So he's trying to plant seeds of doubt, seeds of confusion, seeds of depression, all these things to tarnish how we view ourselves to break us down and remove us again from God's plan. Bullet point number two. See, I'm moving kind of fast now. Stay with me. Living in truth and in spirit. This is an interesting notion that many of us, again, kind of gloss over because this information hasn't been presented to us. But it's vital to stand firmly in this battle. Read with me Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the spirit. What spirit is Paul talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. See, the enemy uses a variety of ways to involve different spirits in our lives. More times than not, we don't even realize it. Let's take fear, for example. When I was young, I had a curiosity for horror films. I didn't know any better. I might have been maybe seven, eight years old. And I thought to myself, this looks interesting. So I decided to watch a horror film. And again, first it started with curiosity. And then these graven images of death and violence were planted, deposited into my brain. And it transformed from curiosity to outright fear. Just by cracking the door open through curiosity to see what it was like. And then, of course, I developed more curiosity because the enemy was able to use those images to spark more curiosity, which meant more fear. And let me ask you this. What is the premise of horror films? It is to solicit the spirit of fear. And it's plain and simple. And the enemy wants, wants, the enemy wants us to think that that's a part of who we are. However, turn with me, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. You can clap. Go ahead. God is omnipotent. 
meaning he's all-knowing, and he knows exactly what tactics the devil is going to try to use to convince us. But he loves us so much that he warns us. He warns us in advance. And I love how he uses self-discipline. Had I had the wherewithal to know the dangers involved at the age of seven of looking at horror films, I would not have done it. I would not have cracked that door open. It wasn't worth it. I'll give you another example. Um, a few years back, I had a bad day at work, and I wasn't in the best of moods. Some things had happened, I can't even recall, but I remember that I wasn't in the best of moods. And uh, I was at that point in time, at the end of the day, just frustrated. Let's just say frustrated. And on my commute from work to home, I decide to listen to some old school hip hop. Yeah, and that's what I grew up listening to. Some old school hip hop. And this music was laced with anger, with rage. So I'm pouring this into me when I'm already frustrated as it is. So I transition from frustration to about, well, maybe about halfway home, and it's about a 40 minute drive, halfway home into just all out anger. I was angry, so it was a heightened emotional state. So I get home to find out, and my son at that point in time was in uh, elementary. I find out that he had gotten in trouble at school. He had a, a note sent home because he was singing in class. And my son, if you know my son, he's a really happy kid, so he likes to sing. And I can't imagine him sitting in class doing his work, but humming or singing at the same time and probably distracting other students, as well as a teacher. So she sent a, home, a note home. Typically, in my controlled state of emotions, I would just talk to him, son, chill, please don't distract other people, control yourself, you're good. Keep in mind, I was at this point swimming in the pool of anger. I was down deep, so I'm singing red automatically. So my first thought was, go get that belt. Go get that belt. Do you see how the connection was? How I went from frustration, listening to this music, getting home, the transition from frustration all the way into the red, and the role that music played in this. See, it's that simple. The enemy wants me to think, oh, you were already in a bad mood. The music had nothing to do with that. But again, he's trying to introduce that spirit of anger and intensify it so that I'm swimming in that, and that's how I choose to make my decisions. Now, I'll have you know, my son is still alive. <laughs> I didn't kill him. But I was thinking to myself, I cannot believe this boy did this again. What are you doing? Do you want to die? We've had this discussion. But again, he's alive. 
The Holy Spirit had descended upon me at that point in time, calmed me down. And I said, all right, your mom's going to handle this one. <laughs> Left it at that. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Read with me. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Ecclesiastes 7.9, control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin or wrong to get angry, but not to allow the spirit of anger to consume and control you. Amen. Our worship team, I love, I love our worship team. I totally admire and appreciate the hours of practice that they put in and their diligence in serving. I really do. But this wasn't always so. See, I was raised in a African-American, predominantly African-American Southern Baptist church. So you got that sample? Listen to this. don't know about that Hezekiah Walker. I see a few of you bobbing your head a little bit, just a little bit. Well, this is the music that I grew up in church listening to, the gospel sound that had resonated and I was conditioned into hearing. Well, guess what? The devil used that against me too. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said that Sundays, Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. That is the device of the enemy. God created us different, absolutely, intentionally, purposefully, but to celebrate our differences, not to use our differences as weapons against each other. But the enemy, the enemy tried to use something as simple as my affinity toward a type of music against me. My family and I have been worshiping at Foundation now probably since... 2004, and it wasn't until maybe the last three, three years, because Jesus didn't give up on me, the last three years where he taught me to have a more clear understanding of what worship means. So I'm being honest with you. The first several years of us coming to foundation, I made it a point intentionally 
to arrive at service right before pastor was going to deliver the message. I made it a point to skip worship. I made it a point. Again, a decision, a choice. And I set that example for my family and my son, saying to them, worship's not important. Tithing's not important. Praying's not important. All we got to do is get there for the message, and that's all we need. That's it. That's all we need. I'm, I'm being dead serious. And we did that for years. For years. But like I said, Jesus did not give up on me. Did not give up on me. I have a more clear understanding of what it means to worship. A more clear understanding of the fact that our worship team has the responsibility that they do so gracefully and so wonderfully to usher us in to the mindset and the spirit of worship. That's a choice. That is a choice. And that's one of the points of emphasis we try to express to our youth in Rush to get them to engage. Because it's a battle taking place. And for so many years, as I mentioned before, I made the decision to deprive not only myself, but my family of the opportunity to engage, to have their mindset set, and to engage in the spirit of worship because I didn't like the music. Because I chose to put that boundary up. Because I chose to believe and buy what the enemy was selling. And boy, did I buy it. Boy, did I buy it. Because by walking in with that mindset, it hinders us. It hinders us. You are already putting up blockades and boundaries mentally to not receive a blessing. Coach talked earlier about a mindset of expectations. Well, at that point in time, I thought to myself, it's not important, so I'm going to already put that, that barrier in place, deprive myself of, of being ushered into worship and inviting the spirit of, of worship into my life at that moment and giving the enemy more foothold, more space, more property. And deprive him also my family of the same thing. So it doesn't just affect me, it's them too. And depleting them from the opportunity of engaging in worship on a much deeper level. So understanding this, read with me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is again, self-control. Now, where are some of my Rush students at? All right. You guys better get this question right. Where do we get the truth from? 
Where do we get the truth from? The Bible, absolutely. So we're talking about living in truth and in spirit. In truth, that comes from God's word. That has to be our primary source for the truth. If we can get our youth to understand that at an early age, oh my gosh, our future is limitless. The truth comes from God's word, not the world. Not the world. However, the enemy is plotting. He's scheming right now on ways to use popularity, to use social media, music, to poison the mind of our youth and have them think falsehoods and masqueraded as the truth. I often talk to the men that I disciple about the importance of reading God's word. And I encourage them, as I do all men, to read Dr. Tony Evans' Kingdom Man. And Pastor, Pastor Chris has talked about this repeatedly as well. But there's one particular piece that I try to emphasize where he's talking about reading the Bible. And that it's, it's important for us to, stand, to understand that every aspect of our existence is documented in the Bible. It provides insight, it provides inspiration, but it also provides instructions. It really does. And one of the points that he emphasizes is that there are varying things in our lives that we're going to undergo. that are documented in the Bible, and it provides instructions on how to deal with it. Say, for example, it's uh, finances. His instructions are simple. He says, read what the Bible has to say about it. Study it, understand its context, and apply it to your life, and then see what happens. Just that simple. Just that simple. So the instructions are there. It's just a matter of us making that step forward. My last point, my last bullet point, is deprogram to reprogram. See, we've been married to this particular way of thinking. And that way of thinking has the enemy's fingerprints all over it. But it's time that we divorce that. It's time that we understand and know what the truth is. Read with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the stronghold of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Amen? See, the enemy tries to use our way of thinking to control our emotional state so that he can use that against us. And believe me, again, it's happening right now. Right now. 
Because if we are to choose, make the choice to believe how the world defines us, we are choosing to limit ourselves. We are choosing to live in bondage. We are choosing to deprive ourselves of the blessings that God has for our lives. And it's systematic. What he's doing is systematic. As I said earlier, there are actual programs in place as we speak right now that are geared toward making access to these lies as easy as possible. And if we don't know any better, we're going to fall prey to them. We're going to fall prey to them. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I know that it sounds much easier said than done. I do, especially if you've been conditioned to this way of thinking for a long, long time. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, is for you to think, oh, I can't change. This is who I am. But who created you? So he has the authority, the right to tell you who you are, not the world. Speaking of conditioning and a particular way of being trained to, thought, to, to think, uh, last week I was craving some Captain Crunch cereal. <laughs> and I went to my pantry to get some out. And we had maybe three or four different boxes of cereal. And I noticed Captain Crunch was one of them. We also had some Cinnamon Toast Crunch and some other stuff. Well, only one was open, and it wasn't Captain Crunch. And I found myself subconsciously reaching for the box of cereal that was already open because I could hear my mother's voice in the back of my head saying, don't you dare open a new box of cereal before finishing the first one. That is punishable by death when I was a kid. She would kill us for doing something like that. But then I thought to myself, I bought this cereal. This is my house. I can open every box if I want to. But I'm saying that for you to get, to get you to understand how I was conditioned to think. And that I can easily divorce that way of thinking and accept the truth. Again, the truth is, is again, I bought that cereal. I can open any cereal that I want to have. So we have to, again, divorce the conditioning and the foothold that the enemy has had over our lives and understand the truth. Understand the truth. Read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. I'll read it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And God raised us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. That means the very power 
that raised Jesus Christ from the dead resides in each and every one of us. We don't have to fall prey to the enemy. If that's not a source of inspiration, then I don't know what is. That is actual confirmation that we have guaranteed victory. Amen? Oh, you guys don't hear me. You guys don't hear me. This is a guarantee. You know, one of the major sources of fear for us is our own mortality. This is guaranteeing life. Eternal life. Amen? As the worship team comes on up, I have a question for you, Foundation. And this is actually a quote from Killing Kryptonite. It's a question as well as an invitation. And I'd like you to think really hard about this. This is a question that I pose repeatedly to our students in Rush because it's that impactful. If we were honest in our assessment, do we see a significant difference between, between the people of God and the people of the world? Do we followers of Jesus stand out? Do we shine as light in the midst of a dark generation? Do we look different with regards to being forgiving? with regards to showing mercy and grace, do we look different? If we stood next to someone who was not a believer, would anyone know it? Jesus says that you will know my followers by how we love each other. He talks about in Matthews, about the first two commandments, about loving God with everything that we have, everything that we have. But he also talks about loving each other as ourselves. Is that reflected in how we live? Can others see that? Can others see Jesus in you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as humbly as we know how, thanking you first and foremost for this day, for this opportunity to bask in your presence, Father. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that is renewed every day. Help us to not take these things for granted, Father. We pray for eyes to see ears to hear, and a heart that is softened to receive all that you have to give to us, Father. We pray against any schemes, any plots of the enemy, Father, that you would bless us with the mindset to follow you, to be determined as Paul was, Father, to seek your face in all that we do, Father. 
Bless each and every individual here, Father. Let them be a beacon of light shining on your behalf, radiating your glory, Father. We love you. We give all honor and praises unto you, Father. All these things we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Have a good day, Foundation.